where we came in. Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. A very, very special, very, very special, I have to say, um, uh, Riot Act classic albums podcast. My name's Stephen Hill. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Renfrey Deadman. Hello. And we're also joined by a very special guest, Mr. Matt Reynolds from Haggard Cat. Hello, hey. Matthew. Hello, Stephen. Nice to have you back on the show again. What is this, like, fifth time? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much here all the time. You're right. I think you're the most guested guest. I would imagine you are, yeah. Mm. Um, with that, um, even uh, sometimes when we record, um, Matt just sits quietly in the corner. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so. Cooped up in your box. You got out your box. Back in your box. <laughs> got, got out of your box, didn't you? Got um, me out of the box for this one. By the time you're listening to this, uh, Matt's uh, band will probably have received a fairly nice review. From their third album I from us. I mean, you're so saying you that while I'm in the that. room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, I gave it eight out of ten in Melhammer. And okay. I was in the car with Matt and said, uh, maybe I should have given it a nine. Just eight album. out of ten we got in Metal Hammer when I, I saw Renfrey's name was on that. I was like, <laughs> we're guaranteed a ten here. <laughs> How Mate, many times have I been on your me, show? No one's guaranteed a ten. No one. No one's Although guaranteed Although they did a get a ten in rock sound. Yeah. yeah. Just... Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Just, that's yeah. mad. sounds so surprised. Well, Great I'm surprised that Rock Sound <laughs> even cover you, to be honest. To, to be yeah, fair, me too, to be honest. To be fair, yeah. I had exactly the same reaction. I might cut that out because that might not be good for you. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the record, I'm very happy they did and I have nothing against them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we're the ones who think Rock Sound is uh, utter dog shit. But yes. fair play to we're, we're Like a case, stopped though, clock. As of, <laughs> as of the last two weeks, I think they're fucking great. <laughs> Good. Well, anyway, uh, as I said, this is a uh, a classic album podcast, which we started to do. This is another one of my picks, and it's actually a podcast that we have been threatening to do since, I think, probably even before we even conceived of exactly quite what this show was. I think this was an idea that was yeah. in our head for a very, very long time. We actually were sort of going to do something along these lines. It wouldn't have ended up being as part of this series, but we were going to do something along these lines with Matt really early on. Mm. Uh, Matt's shaking his yes. head in um, recognition of this fact. And, and we are talking, I think we were in single digits yep. of the amount of episodes that we'd done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this has been on the, on the cards for a long it's time. It's been on the cards for a long time. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my picks, one of my favourite ever records, the classic 11th album by English prog rock superstars, released on the 30th of November 1979. I'm talking about The Wall by Pink Floyd. And even if I say that uh, as an album, I think it's far more than just a record. I feel like just calling it an album doesn't feel like enough to really surmise exactly what we're just about to talk about. This is a three-pronged artistic attack, a conceptual double record, a live show, a film, an album inspired through alienation from one of the band members that ultimately ended up destroying one of the biggest rock bands of all time. It is a mammoth, monolithic album. Huge, right? I'm not wrong in saying that, am I? Uh, Definitely not. Um... Hmm. I don't know how early we need to get into my feelings on Pink Floyd on <laughs> well, the wall and stuff. Well, it's probably like the most divisive that Pink Floyd did between their existing fans of Pink Floyd, but it's yeah. an event as an album. Absolutely. It's an absolute Absolutely. momentous thing. Um, I think uh, you've actually just stumbled across what I was about, how I was about to start okay. this podcast, okay. which was between the three of us. Obviously, I've picked this record, so I like this record and we'll talk about why throughout, but... Pink Floyd as a band, um, what are our 
uh, our individual thoughts about Pink Floyd. I'll let Matt let's go, go to Matt first. first. Um, Pink Floyd are probably my most listened to band of all time, more so than well, a band like Metallica, which I cite quite a lot and do. have unashamed love for Metallica, even though I kind of just pretended I didn't like them for five years of my life <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'd, I'd grown up and then I actually grew up and went, God, Metallica are just brilliant. Yeah, they're they're brilliant. Yeah, fucking <laughs> Um, but no, I tell you what, this book is going to be long enough as it is. <laughs> Shall we go to Metallica, talk about Metallica, with Metallica as well? <laughs> We're doing a Pink Floyd podcast, but I'm going to end up starting by talking about Metallica. <laughs> give me yeah. fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, Pink Floyd, definitely one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, I have time for absolutely everything they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have favourite albums and less favourite albums, uh, which I guess we'll get onto with this as yep, well. Yeah, for sure. Um, but no, I think Pink Floyd are a very important British band. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and worldwide band anyway. It's they're not so because British. they're British. They're, they're so they're British. British. Yeah. I have always... I'll let you get your bit out of the way in a minute, Renfrey, because I kind of know what it is, so I want to get all the good shit out first. <laughs> I think Pink Floyd have always been... Even when I wasn't really a fan, even when I was getting into grunge, you know, when I was a kid and I liked Green Day and I liked Nirvana and Offspring, stuff like that, and then getting into metal, I... There were times in my life where I've never... I didn't really get Pink Floyd, but I've always been just so fascinated by them and it was the wall seeing the front cover of the wall i think dark side of the moon would have been the first album that i actually listened to but seeing the front cover of the wall i do remember being like what a weird looking austere kind of bleak um piece of artwork that is and i was really sort of i turned it over and there was nothing on the back like i've got the vinyl i speak about this vinyl that my dad bought on the day that it came out um my dad's got the kind of original pressing which i have on the on the shelf over there which renfrey's going over to get i believe and um yeah and that is kind of one of my prized possessions so don't drop it you clumsy fucker (laughs) and um (laughs) there it is and it's slightly weathered but my lord it sounds absolutely incredible on on my uh, on my record player but open in the in the sleeve it does yeah um and um you know, I just and that, and that looked at that. the day it came out, was it? Yeah, not? yeah. And, and I, I, I looked at that and um, as a kid without hearing it and was just like, wow, what is this? What is this? Yeah. yeah. And, and then hearing Dark Side of the Moon, um, I was like, oh, this is really good. And, you know, this was sort of, the, I guess the Division Bell would have been the album that was out at the time when I was sort of looking at Pink Floyd, which is probably not particularly the best place to start. But When did that album come out? 95, I believe. And, um, and then sort of a few years later when I was delving back into, you know, the, the annals of rock history and I was buying up all albums by like the Stooges and um, the Doors and stuff like that. I went, I mean, actually the first album I bought was Piper at the Gates of Dawn because I'd heard stuff about Sid Barrett and I was like... <laughs> that must have been quite a shock. It was quite a shock, yeah. And, and I mean, I think the fascinating thing about Pink Floyd, again, without getting too deep into how much I like them is that it's very rare to be a such a massively successful band over so many different iterations particularly when you think of you know there's essentially been three leaders in pink floyd sid barrett roger waters and then dave gilmore and everybody i guess has their own favorite iteration and favorite era and favorite member of that band but that in itself you know is just there's so many layers to everything that pink floyd do and i mean for what it's worth i just think even if you find it hard to get on board with all of the music as a career, it's one of the most staggering careers any band has ever had ever. Like their story is just unbelievable. Phenomenal. Um, But yeah, but this is obviously my favorite. Otherwise I wouldn't have 
I wouldn't have picked it. Renfrey. Hello. Um, <clears throat> the the case for the prosecution against, <laughs> against Pink Floyd. Well, I, I think um, that to bring some personal stuff into this, um, I think because of the sort of music that I'm most known for, the Renfrey cores, the instrumental stuff, the fact that I really like long songs, yada, yada, yada I quite like proggy stuff. Um, the fact that I look like a fucking nerd. Um, people assume for my entire life that I like Pink Floyd and they're like, oh, well, you like Pink Floyd, don't you? Um, and um, I have never got, I've just never got on board with them. And my primary reason is... Well, let me see. I first heard Pink Floyd, obviously heard of them probably shortly after coming out of the womb, but first actually heard them. Um, it was the 2001 Best Of that they released. What was it bloody called? Um, oh, Wasn't it called Echoes? Yes, Echoes. Echoes. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And I was working at Virgin Megastore at the time and I was like, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity to get into this band, Pink Floyd, that I've heard so much about. Now, I realised that with the Best Of... A lot of the time, that's the best way to get into a band, but not with Pink Floyd. And no, that's an not. insane listen when you yes. first put it. It's like, I do not understand how one band can sound like all of these things. I was just mm. completely confused and didn't. it didn't. It kind of made them even more confusing to me. Then um, as a student, um, my housemate, um, Giles, was his favourite album of all time ever was The Dark Side of the Moon. So I listened to that then and I was like... <laughs> wow yeah i was oh, pretty god mad. yeah cool. um i was like okay and and i could never really get a, I could never really get a grasp on them and i think what it was is i discovered all of these bands that were massively influenced by pink floyd and who would not have existed if it weren't for pink floyd existing i am thinking the mars volta um mastodon uh i got baroness um muse even mm -hmm. um you know all these bands and who i always felt like had taken the blueprint i feel like pink floyd had opened the door ajar a few inches in terms of um progressive music and showing how um multi-layered it could be and operatic it could be and so on and so forth maybe operatic is not the best word but music you can certainly i mean on this album, yeah i think on this album it's fair yeah and I feel like bands after Pink Floyd then um, pushed the door wide open. Mm -hmm. So I feel like without Muse Pink wouldn't be one of those bands, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think, agreed. Well, I, I well we've had this argument before, and let's not go into too much of a music tangent. But in terms of bringing that music to the masses, I think there is a strong argument that they are. But you know, I, well, mean, bigger than Pink, I mean, bigger Pink than Floyd, Floyd probably brought it to the masses too. Quite. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this isn't Muse versus Mars Bar at this point. This is Muse versus Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink Floyd are ten times one of the biggest bands of yeah. all time. Aren't comfortably bigger than Muse. Do Pink Floyd have Pink Floyd ever play stadiums? Are you mad? What, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you like the tour that they did on the back of the wall, then the tours that David Gilmour I mean, did like, in the 90s. Like, yeah, Pink, I mean, we're they, about to talk about they why invented this entire stadium album, rock, pretty much. We're about to talk about the, the, in, the conception <laughs> of this record we're about to talk about right. comes from a band who are sick of playing in front of 100,000 people. Frankly, I'm in amazed. In 1977. This, right this is going to be a tough few the, hours. It's going to be a tough few. The well, omission that you hear. <laughs> what? So, so Me here, and Matt both went, <laughs> so here is another admission due to me never really getting on with pink floyd i have done so little research in my life i should say 
um, about Pink Floyd. And actually, it is a massive black hole in my knowledge, especially as someone who um, talks and writes about music for a living. Mm. And I will, I'm going to, well, I was going to say, I'll confess that from the beginning. I mean, I think I've let that um, be apparent from, because I, I, I genuinely did not know that. So um, I knew I knew they were like an arena act, but I didn't realize they'd ever done like stadiums. No, no, no. no. I thought they were like the big like like they're one of the biggest bands ever. They're like Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, big. I thought that that had happened in retrospect, though. I didn't no, really realize no. it was at the time. No, no, Dark Side. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon Good. sold like. Oh, I'm gonna mind. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon was in the charts for like 30 years or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that. maybe yeah. that's why I thought it then, because I because I was under the impression that it was a long, slow, like drawn I said, out I, I process. I think they, they were ascent. enormous. They continued to be enormous and relevant. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I am going to show a lot of naivety. I'm sorry, I, I feel like we've no, 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 no. Look, this this is going to happen a lot. I'm afraid. So, I, what, what? How many of their records have you actually listened to, Renfrew? Heard the wall. Okay, obviously, yeah. Heard this. Dark Side of the Thank Moon. Um, animals, yep. which animals. probably remains my favourite. It's got the longest songs on it. <laughs> it's got the most bits that ever got singing in it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good album. It is. Um, my favourite. Um, wish, wish you were here. Okay. Fair, yeah. I mean, that's a good, that's, that's a pretty it. good spread, I would say. I mean, you're looking really at the... Well, this is quite a good place to start then, actually. I think um, uh, the aftermath of Sid Barrett um leaving pink floyd i think for the first few years um uh they there's a bit there's a, a bit of stumbling around i like for me i i i don't hate the sid barrett era it's pro- it's certainly not my favorite um i think some of it is quite unlistenable to be perfectly honest i don't know how you feel about that matt just a quick interjection i had a friend sorry matt i had a i had a friend who was obsessed with sid barrett era pink floyd uh when i was at um drama school and Mm. um so i'd heard loads of the sid barrett stuff and all of it i'm like what um uh i mean i i I absolutely have loads of time for sid barrett um as as an artist i thought uh, his solo out al- the two solo albums they did i think he did two yeah um and piper at the gates of dawn um i think they're mind-blowing at times yeah too quirky for their own good to mm. kind of twee english Ooh, i've been is to the art school twee <laughs> is exactly it's, it's, the which is the bit that turns me off is the tweeness but it's the kind of more space age stuff that he did where it was like uh, astronomy domini and interstellar overdrive that's just this yeah real kind of exploration into proper psychedelia bef- mm. like more so than anyone did at the time mm-hmm. and that's saying in the 60s where everyone was doing that yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's literally what an acid trip would sound like then i know that's kind of real cliche to say oh it sounds like an acid trip mm-hmm. it sounds like this on acid but that is literally what your brain sounds that's like an acid almost it's, where that came from though yeah. isn't it? that's where that cliche came yeah. from it's exactly. a nice place to visit yeah but mm-hmm. i don't want to stay mm-hmm. there for too long and i do feel personally that it like what happened with Sid Barrett where basically he became this kind of reclusive I mean we'll probably talk about Sid Barrett a little bit later on um with regards to certain things within the wall even um particularly the movie uh but I think what happened to Sid Barrett obviously um was he's one of the gr- the kind of quintessential great like lost kind of odd British characters isn't he uh in 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 British music and but that doesn't make a lot of the stuff that he recorded or wrote 
that listenable. But it does, <laughs> does make Pink Floyd, you know, like it is a very specific thing that they had. Um, I think it took them a little while to refine their feet as a band personally. I know a lot of people have a lot of time for, you know, um, a lot of those, uh, the, the sort of the first four Pink Floyd albums. Oh. They're not personally my favourite. At what point did the Roger Waters era start? I'm going to be asking loads of these naive questions. I would say, now, throughout. the wa- the Roger Waters era, really, in earnest, I would say, and I don't know if you want to agree or disagree with me on this, Matt, I would say when Animals is released, that to me is when you get Roger Waters being kind of the the main leader and dictator of the band like truly i think the kind of the orwellian themes of that record are uh-huh. things that he that went on to play a huge part in his career um i think it's debatable to say maybe beforehand but i think certainly at that point he was the lead guy yeah well i mean i i, I kind of i understand it a little bit differently i i know where that comes from in that what Pink Floyd would then become in the lead up to the wall, because I, I assume you take the wall as that's the centerpiece of Roger Waters yeah. leading Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in the you can see where Roger Waters is going with it. I'd say Animals is probably the first step there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, so Piper of the Gates of Dawn, the the first album of Pink Floyd, that's kind of the only entire album that's just yeah. entirely led by Sid Barrett. Yeah. Um, then there's throughout like the late 60s early 70s is a load of kind of albums of just the rest of pink floyd uh drafting in dave gilmore with them as well jamming and trying to find their feet and kind of struggling and faltering quite a bit yeah there's a lot of exploratory works yeah and some golden moments but no true direction Mm. um and i think the first album that came out where it was like now we've got it um will have been dark side of the moon I like medal as well to be. Uh, medal's brilliant. I think medal's really good. They start and it ends with echoes, which is one of the best Pink Floyd tracks. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, have you have you listened to Echoes at all? The from Medal, the last is, track. Is it on the the best of? Uh, it probably won't be because the full thing's about twenty five minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. So I f- this is why I said have you listened to it because I think if you listen to that, you would absolutely adore it. It mm. makes me it's, want to listen. It's to really it. really yeah. great. I, I think medal medal is pr- like I'm kind of a that run of four dark side wish you were here animals of war was kind of like for me is one of the great runs of four yeah. but i would i would chuck in metal i mean i know obviously obscured by clouds is after that as well but like yeah uh they'd be my five if i had to pick five those would be my five like the top my top five in the pink floyd discography yeah. um Absolutely. but yeah you're right like, um, but uh, but obviously then the the material there from dark side and wish you were here that's all very much them coming to grips with the loss of Sid Barrett anyway. So I see why you'd say the first that's clearly being led by a vision that is mm. um, Roger Waters would be, yeah, from uh, from Animals onwards. Well, I mean, they didn't really see Sid Barrett uh, very much in the kind of aftermath of him leaving the band. But obviously, Wish You Here had Shine On Your Crazy Diamond, which is about Sid Barrett. Um, Sid Barrett uh, turned up to the studio while they were recording that song with his hair shaved off and he'd put on weight and he'd shaved his eyebrows off very much. Ah. Yeah, shaved off his eyebrows, shaved <laughs> off his hair and um, they played him uh, They played him the track, Shine On Your Crazy Diamond and he said, it sounds a bit old, doesn't it? <laughs> apparently. Oh, wow. And apparently no one from Pink Floyd ever saw Sid Barrett again after that apart from, was it Dave Gilmore bumped into him coming out of a shop he's been doing his shopping a couple of years later 
and he 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 was buying something in a shop, and Dave Gilmore was like, "Oh my God, Sid Barrett, Sid, how are you doing?" Holy shit! And that's the only time yeah. they saw him ever. Just since. disappeared into obscurity. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, and I think yeah, I think Sid Barrett and his uh, crazy ways plays kind of a bit of a part uh, in the wall. So yeah, I mean, I think we're sort of on the same page regarding like Roger Waters taking the band in that direction. I uh-huh. think, yeah, you're right. That, that's that's how I, I personally see it, you know, is that as much as, like, Dark Side of the Moon is brilliant. Like, I think Dark Side of the Moon is fucking... It's one of the only albums I could just listen to again and again and yeah. again and again. And fi- either find something new or just just enjoy it truly and honestly and not kind of be bored mm. listening to it. Yeah, it's a... I wish I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I wish you did Me too. too. I, 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 actually, um, I, I wish I liked Pink Floyd full stop. Actually, but um, the way that people talk about Dark Side of the Moon, um, everything they say about it is usually things that I adore about music. And I, and I listen to Dark Side of the Moon, and I go, why can't I hear it? Why can't I hear That's it? Mad. I'm sure it's there. I'm not mm. saying it isn't because everyone says it is, uh, and it's a block with me. I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, um, there are moments on that record which I think are great. Um, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I want to get it, and I just don't. You'll get it one day. I hope so. I genuinely well, hope so, and I, and I do go back to it every so often. But yeah, not it hasn't happened yet. Um, so let's sort of start delving into where the concept. I think now we've sort of established that Matt and I like Pink Floyd, and Rumpy <laughs> is coming in quite blind, which is fair. To. Which is fair. Which is fair that you're yes. coming. I think it's going to be quite interesting to talk yes. about this. I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna learn a lot today. So from the absolutely phenomenal success of the dark side of the moon um turned pink floyd into one of the biggest bands in, in the entire world which meant they went Apparently. out uh yeah <laughs> they went out on tour and played not as big as muse though uh you know, i'm far bigger than muse um playing bigger and bigger and bigger venues um not not as big as wembley stadium <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna keep lying no, about did they ever do nebworth that's what <laughs> yeah. i want to know and yeah. is robbie williams bigger than them? <laughs> yeah. i just feel so yeah. embarrassed but yeah um yeah so uh playing bigger and bigger venues um and experimenting with well, kind of that thing that they were doing with sid barrett in the sid barrett era that kind of things they were doing in clubs and at the roundhouse and stuff where they were using visuals and like psychedelic light shows and stuff turning trying to turn that into the biggest thing that they possibly could um have you ever watched much of the matt have you i mean i'm not even gonna bother asking but, um, <laughs> matt have you ever uh, watched any of the kind of um live at pompeii or uh, live you know, at pompeii is absolutely incredible yeah or it's... any any of the kind of footage from the wish you were here animals dark side uh, so stuff I'd, i studied quite a lot from from animals because that uh, as we said, that's one of one of my favorite mm-hmm. albums by them as well. And that was the first time when they were trying to figure out this. Okay, how do we, how do we make an arena show interesting? Mm-hmm. How do we have our, the same visual impact that we've always tried to have? So that's when you get them kind of sending these huge inflatables, inflatables. Across, across crowds, and which yeah, became this what they were known for. Yeah, so the light show, massive, massive huge light, light show. show. Like, uh, yeah, like uh, right, is that, is right. That featured on live at Pompeii. That that's uh, that sort of stuff. That live at Pompeii was kind of completely different. They they had all yeah, their stuff not... kind of set up in this big desolate well, Pompeii. Yeah, uh, it was uh, actually uh, like a live album in sort of 
that they're playing live only. I really. see. So yeah. maybe, a better, quite, maybe a better question is the, that inflatable stuff, is that captured on film somewhere? Is there somewhere where people can see that stuff? Yeah, YouTube. There's there's plenty YouTube, of yeah. like clips. on there's, there's, a, there's actually a YouTube channel, which I found in the research for this, called um, floydhd.com. Oh, cool. Uh, which has loads of footages from, footage from everywhere. And it's actually got um, some audio footage of uh, the 6th of July, 1977 at the Montreal Olympic Stadium, which is the gig um so to sort of fill in what we can and carry on what we we're talking about pink floyd doing these enormous stadiums 80,000 90,000 100,000 people pretty much one of the first bands to do gigs of that size ever um and uh trying to figure out how to actually connect like matt said ah. to try and connect with people in the same way as they used to in clubs i think um Roger Waters kind of famously said, I can't connect past the first 30 rows. Anything after that, I just feel like there's there's nothing there. Pink Floyd also famously never used to employ a support band. So you would have 80,000 people turning up two, three hours before the band went on stage with nothing to do with themselves, just getting drunk, smoking, setting off fireworks, acting, acting up, like having a good time, getting ready for this big kind of communal yeah. rock gig. And that's the, something the Mars Volta sort of adapted. They didn't mm. tend to have support. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But, um, and what kind of ensued was, uh, like I say, a lesson, lessened connection with the audience, which was really, really starting to frustrate the band, uh, which all comes to a head at the Montreal Olympic Stadium on the 6th of July, 1977, which is kind of the point where the wall as a concept is born in Roger Waters' head. Um, he felt that the communal experience that the band shows that he used to feel in the early days and like with, with Sid Barrett was was diminishing to a point where he didn't feel anything from doing these shows anymore. And on this particular evening, he is fucking riled up. And I suggest there is audio footage of available from him that night berating the audience for letting off fireworks and screaming. So there's actual audio footage of oh, that wow. show where he's like, oh, come on, stop letting off fucking fireworks when I'm trying to play this fucking show. And it's, <laughs> it's like, wow, he is properly yeah, going at these people this is on youtube this it? is on youtube um yeah and um it came to a head that there were a group uh in the corner um near the front of the stage who were kind of screaming and jumping up and down and shouting at the band and roger waters got so fucked off and felt like they were this um this group of people were what everybody in the entire eighty thousand people there were feeling and so he ended up spitting on one of the dudes in the audience. And he actually, uh, I've got a quote here. He says, I personally became so upset that night that I spat a guy in the front row who was only doing what he wanted to do, but what he wanted to do was not what I wanted to happen. He was shouting and screaming, pushing to the barrier. What he wanted was a riot. And what I wanted to do was a good rock show. So I spat at him, which is an awful thing to do. And I got him as well. It went in his mouth and he got really uptight. I think he'd be drinking. I'd been drinking. These kind of fascist feelings came from isolation. If the people that are older and wiser don't set you straight, then you decay and any kind of fascist or totalitarianism comes from that. So Walters, this is one of the first time where Roger Walters sort of compares these Pink Floyd, massive Pink Floyd shows to like fascist rallies. Rallies, yeah. Um, Gilmore actually, he wasn't, people try and blame all of this on Roger Walters and say, how much Roger Walters? Gilmore that night at that gig, he didn't actually return for the encore either. 
so he walked through the crowd and up to the mixing desk and sat there and watched their roadie play his part on stage. Oh. And he thought, um, apparently he thought, I don't know where we go from here. It was the last night of the tour. He was really fucked off. They're doing this massive show and he just thought, I don't think there's anything else for us to be able to do. Um, and after the show, uh, Roger Waters bumped into Bob Ezrin, who is the producer of the record, uh, who's done Kiss, Alice Cooper, Peter That's Gabriel, cool, yeah. Lou Reed, amongst others at the time. And his friend, who was a psychiatrist, and he started to speak to them both about the alienation that he was feeling and how he wasn't enjoying those shows at all. And thus, in his mind, uh, I think the seed of the wall is born, which is which is pretty interesting, right? Yeah. Mm. Wow. No, I, I, um, I haven't, I haven't heard or like seen any footage from the from the show in 1977. That's really, really quite interesting mm. too. Mm. I, I, I knew kind of the the, the stems of it and that it was trying to connect with uh, with people they could no longer connect with and feeling this disenchantment and the, the, therefore the the oppression that you feel when listening to the wall is born there. But wow, just um, I'm just trying to imagine like being there. <laughs> yeah, yeah to be at that show would be fucking amazing i mean mm. uh, you love to see a band have a proper car crash but that sounds like it was but this is the thing was why i think it's so great about pink floyd is uh, most bands would have done like what gilmore said he was sitting there and he's thinking well we just split up yeah. whereas roger waters was thinking how do we turn this into some sort of artistic statement and that's fair. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool, cool yeah. fucking thing to do rather than, you know, well, get... well when you're down and out, oh, I suppose you're down. And they out. were the, very you're much in the peak of their powers. Stadiums, I mean, so. Sure. But you're, um, the, the, the dream has, as, um, uh, occurred, has happened. You've become bigger than anyone else in the entire world, uh, doing this sort of music. Um, and then, but you're not happy. Mm. Um, yeah, that must be a, odd feeling and to be the one of the first people to feel that as well you've yeah. got no one who you can go to for yeah, there's advice no there's there. no one who knows how you feel really um and probably a lot of people who are like what the fuck are you unhappy for mm. which is such a common thing isn't it you know why but famous people don't have problems yeah of obviously. course yeah mm. of course they don't yeah you know. um so obviously that was sarcasm by the way. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> after this Clip. after this event the other thing which kind of led to the birth of the war, I think, was uh, the Norton Warburg Group. Are you aware of the Norton Warburg uh, Group, Matt? Is this the uh, surrogate band? No, 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 no. This is... No, no, that's a little bit later. This is the hired financial firm that the band hired. Oh, right, okay. Uh, to, um, to put high-risk venture capital um things into to put their money to take their money and to put it into high risk capital ventures so that it would reduce their tax liabilities uh, wow beatles did this with the apple corporation yes quite famously. exactly yes. that yeah yes. so um pink floyd this this group took pink floyd's royalties and invested them in skateboards in a hotel chain in uh, an early games console and uh, the company were actually um, just shysters and were kind of using Pink Floyd's money to be siphoned off to pay the other debts that they owed to many other people, right? Wow. So um, they took about £19 million worth of Pink Floyd's money um, in 1977. Uh, and Do you know what that is now? I have no idea. I'll but try and work it out. See if we can work it out. 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 So um, that money uh, basically... Uh, was was taken. The band went bank. The, sorry, the band. The the company went bankrupt. 
um, went into administration and left the band in a massive financial hole, meaning they were potentially owing the crown up to 83% tax of the royalties of Dark Side of the Moon. That's wow. the exact same percentage as the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah mm. just to make a comparison. So you think how much 83% of the royalties of Dark Side of the Moon would be? That is the amount of money Pink Floyd were in the hole for. You said it was 19 million. About 19 million, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, $100 is equivalent to $414.57. So, four times as much plus a little extra. So, so we're, we're talking, talking 80, 80 million. million. We're probably yeah. talking 84 million, 83 million, something like that. Yeah. So, they're in the shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah in the shit (laughs) (laughs) like you've just done this massive tour it's the last thing you want to do ever again and then you're basically sort of told well you better make some money yeah i guess the only option is to keep going then for them at that point they're they're between rock and a rock and a hard place they can either give up but then they how are they ever going to repay that yeah so they were told to become taxiles tax exiles for 12 months um they were told to go away for a year and make as much money as they possibly could and um so they went to the south of France and hold up for a little bit. Watch this. Yeah. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. So they went to the south of France. Um, now, uh, I think at this point, uh, we should also note um, that because we've been talking about how massive Pink Floyd are or were at that point, 1977, when I think music in 1977, what's the first word that comes to your head? Punk. Punk rock. Mm-hmm. They're the opposite of punk rock. They yeah. were like the antithesis. The most, rock. in fact, the most hated band by the punks, pretty much, yeah. aren't they? Surely. Yeah. Gen- were Genesis around this time? Probably, yeah. All of those bands, but that's but the yeah, thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, they were probably the figureheads for it, yeah. How many times do you hear, and then punk rock, fucking, we wanted to get those guys in capes, the, the fucking organ solos, the prog rockers, yeah, the yeah. big stadium mm-hmm. musicians. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody wanted to destroy. Now, um, if you look at it, it's it's quite an interesting list. And when you think of like 1979, when when the Wall was released, uh, the biggest albums in 1979 were Off the Wall by Michael Jackson, um, London Calling by The Clash, Highway to Hell by ACDC, Van Halen Two, um, In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin came out that year. Mm. But also, if you look slightly beneath that, um, Replicas by Tubey Army came out. Uh, Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, Entertainment by Gang of Four, the special self-titled album, uh, Bomber and Overkill by Motorhead, Three Imaginary Boys, a debut Cure record, Drums and Wires by XDC, One Step Beyond by Madness, and Renfrew, your favourite, Black Rose by Thin Lizzy came out that <laughs> year as well. <laughs> so you're not a fan? No, um, there's a. Oh. I, the first you were song, there at the live the show first, when he the first song he ever the first wrote. First song I ever wrote is called Black Rose. Right. Mm. Okay. So to me, that says quite a lot about the changing shape of what, of what, of what music. Such a salt happening on the other side of the room now. But you know, like when you when you think of that list of albums and what people think about from 1979, it's quite a different type of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I I would be fucking if I was in Pink Floyd and people saying you owe this amount of money, you don't really want to play live, and music's about to change all around you i would be fucking terrified yes yes is that it uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> i was just yeah uh, i had nothing to add really but i ended up just making noises yes i would mm. be terrified as well yeah that'd max do you think that's a that's a precarious i mean because they're so big 
you kind of go, oh, they'd be, you think now, like now with hindsight, you kind of go, oh, they'd be all right. I mean, they'd you know, be reduced to the last million. Poor fuckers. Well, maybe. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I don't mean that at all by like, I, because by that point, none of it's their money anyway. Mm. None of mm. it belongs to them. Mm. Mm. Um, and they're left kind of thinking, well, these are the only skills we have. Um, sure, yeah. F- what do we do? And, and obviously none of them experts in finance. law, finance, <laughs> tax. Yeah, clearly. clearly. So you're relying on everyone around you to explain to you what needs to happen next and what hap- has happened and why. And why would you trust anyone now that the because you've taken everything and plowed it into this one company, the Norberton Yeah. Warburg. Warburg group. Yeah. So why ever trust again? So yeah, you'd be terrified. Uh, Absolutely. I'm, just as someone who's self employed, I've received tax uh, tax bills which have scared the shit out of me and have been very unexpected. Mm. And no one's tried to rip me off for a ridiculous amount of money. And when we're talking about tax bills, I'm talking about maybe maybe two grand, mm. <laughs> like pr- probably not even that. And that's made me feel some almost sick to my stomach sometimes. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's all above the law and law abiding, bloody blah blah. blah, blah, blah. You know, so I can't even quantify the equivalent of 83, 84 million. It just it doesn't even compute for me. Mm. That's bonkers. It's yeah. a pretty terrifying time. And when you think that, you know, new wave and punk and disco uh, were becoming the sort of, you know, when you look at some of the other, like Cool and the Gang and Funkadelic and stuff, had albums out that year as well. And, and mm. that in America, you know, disco was kind of king and punk rock in sort of underground and in guitars became the king in uh especially in the uk obviously and throughout europe um and then you've got this new like i say this new breed of other thing like goth and what i guess would have been the early knockings of synthesized music like you know i said tubeway army gary newman that kind of thing coming out um it's very early but yeah very well our friends electric are is you know is a big yeah which was which was a big hit that that year and that kind Uh of you know, from the sort of ashes of that became, um, well, not even the ashes, but from that developed into Depeche Mode and Duran Duran and the, the, the whole kind of new romantic thing. So being a prog rock band in 1979, that's a tough fucking spot to be in, I mm. think. Really, really tough spot to be in. Mm. Uh, but then we'll talk about whether or not The Wall is actually, or what sort of album it is, I guess, when we get into the, the properly talking about it. So um, but so what, what they did was essentially Roger Waters went off and made two albums um one of them was the wall which was entitled bricks in the wall and the other was the pros and cons of hitchhiking uh matt have you ever heard the pros and cons of hitchhiking? <laughs> i haven't heard the pros and cons of hitchhiking okay because i was, have well it was a roger Waters solo album it was eventually released in 1984 right okay um uh yeah but basically he really he recorded full demos for two albums and then took them to the band and said one of these is going to be my solo record one of these is going to be a pink floyd record which one do you want to do? Oh, cool. Mm. And Dave Gilmore said they were going to go for the wall as it was much more interesting a concept, even though it was much harder to listen to. That is what Gilmore initially said. Do you agree with that? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is I think the wall, it would have been at the time because the wall had a lot of, it, although it was brought to the band quite fully formed, mm. Bob Ezrin, Gerald Scarf, uh, Michael Kamen, Mm-hmm. a bit of Gilmore, all the people that we're about to talk about who mm-hmm. kind of came in, I think probably shaved off the harsher edges of that yeah. record, even though it's still quite an undertaking. 
you know, it's it's funny because I think there's actually compromises that have been made on this record, even though it's kind of put down and pinned down as this singular minded thing that Roger Waters did. I think there's lots of evidence that he actually did give up like bits of control here and there, which I guess we'll get to in a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, I think the the one thing, but the one thing the band did say is that it was really difficult to see where they as a band could fit in from the demo that Roger Waters has made, uh, which ended up being a, a massive problem and led to the dismissal of the keyboard player, Richard Wright. Um, he was a founding member of the band. He was a founding he? member of the band. Uh, and Roger Waters basically... I mean, do you know about this, Matt, how Richard Richard Wright's kind of demise from Pink Floyd? Uh, no, no, please um, me, So basically, Roger Waters said it's his project, and he was like, I'm going to do this, the wall thing. He asked Dave Gilmore if Dave Gilmore wanted to co-produce it, but he didn't ask Richard Wright. Um, so Richard Wright demanded a co-production credit. Um, but Waters was kind of harboring feelings of resentment to Richard Wright because he felt they hadn't really contributed anything to the last couple of records. Right. Now, um, Dave Gilmore has actually kind of said that that is a fair comment. Um, he said that uh, he, that Richard Wright had been driving them mad, um, but on Wright's part that he felt that he worked better in isolation. And actually, Bob Ezrin, who produced the album, said, it sometimes felt like Roger was setting him up to fail. Rick gets performance anxiety. You have to leave him alone to freeform to create. And that's from a book called Comfortably Numb that I've got, from uh, which is a sort of uh, secret history of Pink Floyd that came out in 2008. Um, so it ended up with basically Bob Ezrin saying to Richard Wright, don't come into the studio. And um, it kind of came to a head while they were they they got a call while they're in the middle of recording um the wall saying that if they got the album out before christmas they could have a, an increased share of the royalties which obviously with them being in france and having to kind of get as much money as they possibly yeah. could was exactly the thing they needed to do to do that they would have had to have cut their summer holiday short right mm -hmm. so Roger Waters goes to the rest of the band and says, right, we're going to cut, not have a summer holiday and we're going to get the album cut before that. Richard Wright was going through a divorce at the time. He also had two kids who were at school. So his, he was going through his divorce. He hadn't seen his kids for ages. Um, his kids were at school in the UK. The rest of the band had very, very young children that they were able to bring over to the studio with them. Richard Wright was like, no, I want to see my kids, so I'm not willing to do that. So Roger Waters essentially held the album hostage and went either we fire that guy or i'm releasing this album without him as a roger waters solo album dave gilmore and um nick mason the other two members of the band were basically kind of forced to kick richard right out of the band because they couldn't afford to just let all this money and time and effort and energy from the album go mm -hmm. so the compromise was made that Wright would stay on and record the rest of his parts as a member of the band and he would then play on a subsequent tour as a touring musician and then he would leave the band after the wall project wow. was completely finished which actually meant that because of the amount of money that it cost to tour the wall richard wright being a an employee was the more. only person who <laughs> made any money on the wall tour <laughs> Wow, the right. only three members of the band didn't actually make any money from that. It cost them all fucking. We'll get into that later Spoiler when we talk alert. about yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, wow. but yeah, but he he. So he basically um finished up his parts and uh and and yeah and was sort of told that he would be touring and then he would be forced to leave the band. Um, but he'd be back at some point. Um, so Bob Ezrin as well brought into work with the demos that um 
Roger Waters had. He wrote a 40 page treatment to sort of uh, flesh out the story that Roger Waters had given him and um, and suggested that they make the sort of theme of it more universal. I really like Bob Ezrin as a producer. Mm. Have you guys got any thoughts on Bob Ezrin as a producer? Because he's like, say, he's, he's done one of the mastermind producers of the seventies. Easily, yeah. um, I'm most associating with his work with Alice Cooper, probably. Mm. But um, yeah, master, like, just he makes things sound big. Mm. I would say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he makes things sound big. Yeah, um, and um, mm, yes. So, uh, so I'm not as up to speed. So um, Bob Ezrin's so done, uh, as I said, Alice Cooper, uh, this record. What else? Is uh, he on? did Lou Reed. I think he did Transformer by Lou Reed. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. He did. Uh, he's done Peter Gabriel's solo album. Uh, what was it called? So. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. He did that as well. He did. Uh, he's actually done his own air. Th- he he did Air Supply. <laughs> he did. Um, what uh, else has he done? He Deep did the Purple, Division Bell. Kiss. Uh, yeah. Uh, done a Julian Lennon album, not so great. Uh, he did Strays by James Addiction, the okay, James cool. Addiction yeah, comeback record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's also worked with Thirty Seconds to Mars. Thirty Seconds to Mars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got, you know, he's not done anything that's particularly new, new. But you know, he was like you say. I think for the nineteen seventies, if you wanted a sort of rock producer, like Destroyer by Kiss. Is a pretty big album. Yeah, he was he like the, the guy. Yeah, he did he Hot Cakes of... by The Darkness. I forgot all about uh, that. Did he? I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, Saturday Night Wrist, uh, Deftones. Oh yes, he did do Saturday yeah, Night yeah, Wrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually um, he, did, well, he did the Hollywood Vampires album as well. <laughs> Slight detour. There's Nobody's actually, perfect. There, <laughs> there are. Um, you can get. Uh, hmm. There are ways to get um, some Bob Ezrin demos from Saturday Night Wrist, and they really? are a very, very interesting thing to listen to if you are into that album. We'll probably go into that in more depth another day. Yeah, I'm sure but we yeah. will. Yeah. Mm. Um, Roger Waters actually said that Bob Ezrin was the only one who actually understood the concept. Uh, and he said the others didn't know what it was about, but he actually trusted Bob Ezrin, uh, which is a weird thing about this record is that it feels like for the most part the other three members of pink floyd are sort of incidental uh, in the records yeah because I, do, I don't want to keep butting in with bob ezra and stuff but this does feel like it's pertinent he mm. sequenced the fragile by nine inch nails and it just feels yes, like a did, pertinent thing to say when we're talking about this record mm, another so. fucking amazing double album absolutely yeah. um yeah so yeah it doesn't really feel like the other members of pink floyd and i think you can kind of obviously knowing what happens after this record uh, if you do know what happens after this record, and I'm sure Matt does, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. You I know do. bits and pieces. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, Pink Floyd were going into this record just in a really fucking bad space. Um, I'm. I don't want to be too. But like, is that? Have you ever been in that situation, Matt? Where you feel like? I mean, I know you've been in bands who have split up before and not that well, i'm saying we've, it's a... uh, we've and had our fair share of bad luck over and over again in quite a lot of bands i mean i can't even begin to quantify quite the level of what pink floyd like that versus what pink floyd were feeling so yeah for example old band baby godzilla transition to heck we were sued by a japanese cinema company yeah and that they ju- everything was kind of going right for us everything we had the press we had like we knew we had an album like in a, um, under our belts that we thought was great and that was poised to do really well and everything was looking like 
this is going and going and going and going and going. At this point, we receive an email from a cinema company saying, uh, the Japanese cinema giant Toho saying, Godzilla is our registered trademark. Mm. You can no longer tour under this name. You can no longer be called that. You must, everything needs to come offline. All mm. of your merchandise basically needs to be burnt. Mm. Like, <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I was good friends with you guys at this time, and I remember the uh, levels of stress uh, and the way that you all dealt with it. I remember uh, there being almost what you would call fire sales of Baby Godzilla merch. Uh-huh. I remember picking up lots of um, very, very cheap Baby Godzilla merch because you needed to get rid of it. Um, yeah, but there's so all these things that people don't think about. Oh, changing a name, that's easy peasy. Yeah. But no, you've got to get rid of your merch. You've got mm. to uh, change all the designs of your... Uh, online presence you've got to change the domains and blah, blah blah like there's so many things that you had to do which people probably didn't don't even think about yeah and and, and by this point as well the the album's already made where i mean yeah. at the time i must have been 24 i think mm. none of us had any money yeah so as soon as it's like and we had even less because we knew we'd just blown it all on making this thing mm. which now it's not certain if we're even going to put it out because we're on the poise of breaking up because what do we do next uh, how do you even muster the energy to be like right this is the next step you need so um, that's how we felt with something that small that wasn't even really yeah. an enormous thing. So imagine being at the absolute peak of your powers and then having that rug pulled under you and you yeah. fall so much further. Yeah, so, and to just not really be getting it, to have one person who's in charge. Like, every band kind of has somebody who does the thing, right? There's I, th- usually... I think there's, there's always a driving force or at least or, or maybe one or two driving forces yeah. that there needs to be because otherwise, how's it ever going to, without some psychic connection, how's it ever going to pull in the same direction? Mm. Um, but if, if one of those people decide that they don't need the other people and that they're just going to go off and do whatever they want and kind of like admit that they go, well, I don't really trust you. I don't really trust you with how this record sounds or what it's going to look like or you don't really get what the... Re- like the others did not understand what this record was about. Like you're in a band with these people and you're putting a, a song, you're putting an album together with a band and you're saying that they don't even, not that they can't play it. They don't even understand it. Like, I mean, like that's the, fucked the, up. The level of, uh, of self-confidence you then must have to kind of, to progress anyway, in spite of that. I'm like, no, I think I'm right. No, I think mm. I, I've got this. I know I'm right. Like mm. I, I couldn't even imagine doing that. Like it's, to have the the cojones. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I guess having people around him, like, so with Bob Ezrin, as I said, you know, like heard the demo and decided that, that he he, belie- he kind of believed it and understood well, it. Well, I was going to say that that would be, a, that could be a yeah, pretty I, I, big I guess so. push for I guess so. like considering who he had worked with and the stuff that he'd but done. Sure, but surely the band around you, they're, they're the closest people that you've ever worked with. You've, you've sure. at this point, they've been together 20 years? Yeah, about guess, that. Like mm-hmm. Almost 20 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so these, that's a, it becomes like a band of brothers sort yeah. of kind of situation. Everyone except for Roger Waters has kind of gone. Ooh, yeah, no. yeah, 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 totally. Like yeah. that, that e- even with someone like Bob, Bob Ezrin kind of in your corner, you must have second thoughts on that. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't appear to at all. I mean, they also brought in Michael Kamen, who metal fans of ours will know from S and M, Metallica to Metallica's S and M. Yeah, uh, was brought in to add strings. But I think the kind of <laughs> yeah. very yeah. important to say Metallica. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, of course, Meta- oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but most importantly, um, we should talk about Gerald Scarf, who is an artist who was contacted by Roger Waters. I've got a quote from him here um, that says, I was contacted by Roger Waters and he told me he was making a film. But I didn't even tell him I was making an album, so he was making a film. Right, okay. He said, I started work there and then on one of the pieces from the record, The Trial, 
and it opened an entire area for my work that was until that point undiscovered. So it's mad to me that the guy who's doing that artwork is having more influence on the sound of the record than the drummer yeah. or the keyboard player, right? Yeah. You're saying that this guy hears a bit of music, starts writing for a film, and then <laughs> like goes, uh, I've written this, and Roger Water goes, oh, I've got this idea for character, and then writes lyrics on the basis of a picture, mm. and that guy goes away and writes it. And th- like those two basically, like... Gerard Scarf should have a fucking a, a, a writing credit mm-hmm. as much as a an art, an art yeah. credit on this record. His like art, which is like you know, as I said, it's the cover of this record that drew me into it in the mm-hmm. first place, mm-hmm. and the artwork in it. I mean, especially you know when we get to the film, we get to the live show. So important, so so integral to, say, to that record. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but he did he did the animated sequences in the film. Yes, he? he did. Yeah. yeah. Mm. which you know um again spoiler alert are clearly the best thing about that film yep. by yeah. a fucking mile. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yes <clears throat> yeah um so you know I, I just think it's kind of impossible to understate how big a role he played in that and I'm, I'm trying to think of another band who have incorporated an artist and visuals in that way like that actually kind of inform the writing of the record like off the top of my head I can't think of any. I know Neurosis used to consider um, Noah, uh, their their on their visuals person, a their sort of live visuals man, the sort of sixth member of the band. I can think of other bands who have had like a member of the band who um, um, does lyrics or, or or almost an ethos. I'm thinking Richie Edwards mainly yep. here with Man Street Peaches, although mm-hmm. that's not exactly what you're saying. Um, no, I'm no. I, can't think of anyone in terms of an album being made with you know i mean obviously they understood that there were there was going to be a film made of it uh in the end but um it's crazy to think that roger waters was writing music on the basis of sketches that he was receiving Uh from this guy yeah absolutely mad bonkers um and uh yeah so anyway the album got um got recorded got taken to columbia emi and was rejected straight away by um uh, columbia executives who did not want to release a double album who did not want this big long conceptual thing um who suggested they go back and just write another record like wish you were here and um Bonjour's having a go at Matt's crisps. Sorry, Bonjour's being a little bit distracting. She fucking loves crisps, mate. She loves crisps. And and, uh, Roger Walter said, fuck off. And uh, one of the executives at uh, Columbia apparently offered to toss a coin to see who would get their way. And Roger Walters went, why would I toss a coin on something that I already own? Like, I'm not changing it. And the um, the kind of... uh, the the little bit again you know i was talking earlier saying that you know there was a slight bit of um uh what's it called uh compromise made on on this record and that is that a couple of songs were shaved off in the flesh was shortened and um it means if you do have a a first pressing of this i'm not i don't think that one that i've got there is actually it might be in the day it came out but i'm not sure it's a, a pressing that's early enough to have um like the track listing's wrong 
right on some of them if you get one of the really really early ones they moved around some of the track listing some of the songs that taken that were taken out and um yeah and also the name of Wright and mason don't appear anywhere on on the first pressing uh, they're not credited <laughs> as even being anything to do with the album at Whoa. all. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. You bastard. Yeah. And, and then it was released. So I think at this point, something Renfrey, which um, which I was talking to you yesterday and yeah. I was saying, do you know what the story of this record is? And you said, no, I'm going to go and read the Wikipedia page. And I said, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think this record is about just from a you know a, a layman's listen to the record should i be taking the fact that i saw the film this morning into account or not well i, f- I find it's it hard it, not to. it's kind of hard not to yeah and i do feel like i'm taking most of this from the film oh if i'm totally honest so did you get it did you get the did you, did you, did you, did you what you're saying is you don't feel like you got the narrative just through the music I feel like the film um, made, oh, it kind of made it clearer, but then at the same time made it, it's a very weird one because it made it clearer and at the same time muddled it up even more. Right. Um, what well, give I us gather, what you thought it was and then what okay. you now think it what is. What I gather is it's about a, um, a, a rock star uh, called Pink. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he, um, was in the second world war, I believe, and has, um, trauma from being in the second world war, PTSD. Um, and that is part of, uh, why he feels a lot of disconnection. He's a massive, 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 massive rock star. Um, doesn't feel this, uh, feels disconnected from his fans and from people who love him, uh, as in, in a fan to, um, uh, uh, star relationship not like friends and family kind of love um then there's a big sort of jump (laughs) in 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 my understanding of what happens and there are lots of allusions to pink becoming something that he despises he ends up becoming i mean in the film certainly there are these big rallies which are clearly meant to be influenced by nazi imagery and so on and so forth i think the um you know it's it's so apparent it's so obvious the, f- the two hammers the walking, walking hammers, hammers. yeah it's a, a sort of um play on the um what the f- what's the fucking symbol called swastika thank you um and yes and, and i believe he i believe he becomes uh, a dictator type figure the thing that he despises the most which is uh his own his own worst enemy which is f- from that's because he's he's fighting he was he becomes the thing that he was fighting in world war Two. goodness me be, it, uh, be, that's what i gather um yeah that's that's about mm. my understanding Matt, of it do you want to um <clears throat> fill in any blanks or i mean do, do you do, i'm assuming you you am I, am I vaguely you know, right? I mean, you're vague. There's bits that I would I disagree that, that aren't okay. quite right. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I kind of, I think I know rather than, uh, yeah, rather than I actually mean, have worked out for myself particularly. So do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I always kind of drew a lot on this album um, about the actual realities of, of Pink Floyd. And I thought a lot of the kind of the World War Two 
um, reference was a lo- from his dad. Yeah. And his dad abandoning, mm. well, his dad dying ah. in, the, in the World War. And that was where the PTSD came in. Yeah. And then I will this, say this, this the this World War II stuff I didn't pick up at all from the album. It was um, from the film okay. really? that okay. I got. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that it was more just kind of, you can get the World War II just from when the album came out, how old yes. Roger Waters would have been, yep. how old his dad would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, all the references to father and mother figures throughout yeah, the whole course, thing which is yeah, there's, there's yeah. lots of dad issues with mother, this whole obviously. album yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. Uh, and yeah uh, the, the way i always took it was kind of the unraveling of this character the kind of and his mental state uh, while building up into this big kind of tight ball forming a wall around him mm-hmm. and then kind of his uh explorations into uh talking about his mental health and going to see a psychiatrist and that side of him eventually to being sedated. Um, and that's where you get to come to be numb on the album. That's what mm-hmm. I'd kind of say. Um, but I, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's the path is similar to what you're saying, I think, mm-hmm. but it's it, mm-hmm. rather than it being him that's gone to war, it's his dad. And obviously, okay. obviously still hate would hate those figures that mm-hmm. he then mm-hmm. kind of becomes and fights against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what it is, I mean, in, in my, this is what I've put in, in sort of my word. So mm-hmm. each significant moment, I mean, the, the building of the wall is both building the, you know, Roger Waters wanting to build a wall in front of his fans and feeling there was a wall in front of him. But then also this is about, like you say, a psychological. Yeah, it's wall. a metaphor. Yeah. 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 So every thing, every event in his life is there, is, is a, rep, is a brick, is represented um by a brick so his father dying in in the in the second world war another brick in the wall part one um sadistic school teachers uh oh, another yes. brick in the wall part two oh, I forgot to mention that his yeah. overbearing overprotective mother uh mother um is sort of the first half of the record and then the narrative sort of switches back and forth between his childhood and the remembrance of his childhood and a hotel room that he is in waiting to do a concert yeah so yes. you get the disinterested and um uh unfaithful wife um you uh you get the hotel that he's room that he's he's locked in and then um there's a lot of you know people coming in and out of that room while he just kind of like send the boys back home into Vera. I think it's him remembering, you know, like the the sort of blissful childhood memories that he he wanted to have or should have had or did have that uh, that he kind of longs for now. Um, and then you get comfortably numb is them coming in and you know famously them coming in and reviving him to take him on stage. And Bob Hoskins coming in. Bob so. Hoskins, yeah. And um, in, in the film, I should say, <laughs> not not in the album. Yeah, and. Uh, him having a hallucinogenic hallucinogenic experience on stage in the flesh where he believes he is the dictator of a fascist rally right. ah. uh, where he attacks um which is uh, where he attacks minorities run like hell um he, he certainly wa- does doesn't he he does yeah he, he, he attacks wakes up, all them minorities he wakes up um sort of begging for it all to stop stop puts himself on trial the trial uh, eventually tears down the wall and we end on outside the wall um with the final words on the record, isn't this where and that kind of organ music, if you just play it on flip and you output the album again from the start, the first words on the album are 
we came in. So if you listen to it on a loop, it says, isn't this where we came in? And it's meant to represent the fact that he will rebuild that wall once again. Mm. So that, that I'm to gonna, me, going to give it to you, Steve. That does sound more accurate than mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> Sounds slightly so better. Yes. Uh, so uh, it, it's it's about you know obviously it's not just about um, sort of alienation and fear. It's about the kind of the the things. I mean, like I said in that you know you said if people who are older and wiser than you don't stop telling you what to do, then you will get these kind of totalitarian thoughts. And obviously he didn't have a father figure to stop him from doing that, which is why he now you know uh, feels that these this cyclical nature that although he can bash that wall down, it will eventually kind of build up because we're all kind of primed to make the same mistakes over and over again. Um, yeah, that's what uh, from in my mind, the record sort of represents, I think. Uh, I have to say that is a much better deeper reading and interpretation of this album than i've ever got ever in my life of listening to this album well i appreciate that really over really. the past 20 years or so and um yes now that i know that that's cool because i feel like i can go back to it and go right mm. those bits that i couldn't fill in beforehand mm. I, g I get it don't get your now. beard on my 30 year old so vinyl either please remember <laughs> Remember just basically like <laughs> chewing on my fucking <laughs> old copy of this album that I've just like gone off on that. My beard is, is perfectly is mm. clean. Delicious. <laughs> Coronavirus on my fucking... <laughs> on, on putting my it vinyl. away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's what it's about. Um, but I guess what we should really get into at this point, is it any good? Matt, um, is it any good? Steve, it's, it's obviously great. It's obviously great. It's one of my least favorite Pink Floyd albums. Is it really? It, it really is. Yeah. Um, I not a f the the more Roger Waters Pink Floyd became, the more him as the driving force solo. Yeah. The less I enjoyed the sound that it, that it made. Hmm. I didn't like what that sounded like. Uh, I absolutely abhor the final cut which I think was even ah, further interesting. in we'll, that direction. Yeah. Um, abhor, so that's quite a strong word. Abhor. It's, it's the only <laughs> one of their albums that I have like never actually owned. I've only kind of like borrowed it and listened to it once or twice. And I'm like, I just really can't get on with this. Can you give us well, a I mean, quick 30 second review of the final cut? We're going to talk about the final, final cut in a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, I think there are, there are a few... There are a few bits in the final cut. It's not anyway. We'll we'll get onto it in a little bit. But you know, um, yeah, just a, just a fine. band that is so kind of like uh, Pink Floyd are a band that is famous and loved for being this overblown, the absolute pinnacle of how ridiculous rock music can come and how operatic it can become. And the final cut is one step step too far for me. Okay. Like, like um, it does, it just doesn't quite. It doesn't have the genius within it that this the wall has. Um, the wall's a brilliant album, but yeah, it's because of the sound of it, generally, I'm just like, mm, it's not my favorite. Really, but I I can love listening to. It. I've I've absolutely loved revisiting it again for this. Mm. For the second time. It's because I mean you're right. It it, <laughs> do, it it doesn't it doesn't really sound like Pink Floyd. No. It's uh, uh, it's it's so theatrical that it, it it's basically musical theatre. Yeah, um, which I'm so glad you said that because that is actually part of what puts me off about it. But yeah, carry yeah. On. Well, th th again, that's that's um, none of us are really huge musical theatre people. I think mm, like, no. it'd be fair to say. No. Um, 
so yeah, that would never be your first choice of what genre you're then going to listen to. Mm. But because of like the flex of Pink Floyd within there and and the and the storyline and and how thought out it is and where it's come from as well, that's what drags me back in and goes, okay. And then the theatre of it becomes part of the genius and part of like why it's so massively brilliant. The light and shade between it all, like the parts that are this is a band, the parts that are this is the, the trial. Mm. This is this mm. kind of insane, over dramatic rambling. Mm. Yeah, mm. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I've picked it, so it is my favorite Pink Floyd album. In fact, I will tell you this: when I've only ever made one list of my favorite albums of all time, ever, ever, ever before, for the previous podcast I was on, and this would have been in the top three. I won't say what number it would have been, but it was uh, when I first posited that list, this album was in the top three and it was vetoed by my esteemed Ooh. colleague uh, <laughs> who claimed it wasn't a rock album. And I didn't want to argue too much about it. So I went, all right, fair enough. Because yeah, Pink Floyd aren't in Kerrang and all that kind of shit, are they? And also, no, no. And also, and also, um, yeah, I mean, possibly this album is not a rock album. I don't know what, this album is i think that's kind of part of the appeal of what i love so much about it is that having heard dark side of the moon and then sort of braving myself to listen to this i was just like not only does this not sound like the same band it doesn't even sound like a band like for lots of it it doesn't i, I don't even know what it sounds like i think yeah. i think it's a very opaque rock album i think it's a very um you i think it's an incredibly unusual mm. rock album yes yeah i mean the trial i'm glad you brought the trial up because in in many ways the the album could end on run like hell and yeah. i'd be like musically that is fucking great right what a fucking sweet spot i actually <laughs> i don't really enjoy the trial as a piece of music oh right but i feel like it needs to be there because you, after everything that's happened throughout this record, you have to end it on something like that. You yeah. have to end. You, this album couldn't just end like without. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It couldn't just end on a on a, on, the, on, on a, a good great song, song. Yeah, yeah. or a, you know. I mean, I know it doesn't strictly end on on the trial. Um, yeah, there's um, outside the wall. Yeah, outside the wall is the the sort but of that kind of just feels like a, just an exhale. Yeah, yeah, very much yeah. kind of big, like, whoof, build up theatrical yeah. piece, like there's all the grand ideas kind of being smashed mm. down yeah, or sent, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know the tear down the wall. Like, yeah, but it's it's this huge cacophony and and climax. So you need to then have this. You've just had a whole double album that's built to that theatrical moment. Yeah. So yeah, it needs this kind of. <sighs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I I do think you know, like I say, uh, the trial is. There are what's I mean, what's amazing about this record and why I think it is so brilliant is for all the, you know, the chat about how it is such a strong concept, how the themes come back and forth all the time. Characters are being reintroduced. Um, uh, musical musical motifs, motifs are being like yeah, reintroduced, uh -huh. you know, and you hear the same thing done slightly different way mm -hmm. time and time again. You can still pick songs out of it that i mean this is their only ever number one hit on this yep. record a brick in the wall part two. Oh, you know it's their only ever number one hit you know this is a time where pink floyd they could release singles comfortably numb is probably their most famous song yeah probably. um and it all comes within this 
record. I mean, actually, Comfortably Numb was written by Dave Gilmore for Dave Gilmore's solo records. And know, it proved really? to be actually one of, again, the, the kind of the thing of Roger Waters being this um, uh, archaic, you know, uh, dictator during this record. Um, Dave Gilmore brought this, uh, this to him. He said, like, we need something in the middle here. And Dave Gilmore brought it to him. And they recorded it. And apparently they had a massive, massive, massive argument about what the backing track should be for Comfortably Numb. And Roger Waters, they did two different drum takes. And Roger Waters and Dave Gilmore butted heads like for for weeks on end about what. And in the end, Roger Waters let Dave Gilmore have his way about it. So he did actually let him sort of. And you would imagine that he picked the right one because it's ended up being their most most famous song. song. Um, And it kind of snuck onto the record last minute. Figure that out. It does stand out like a sore thumb as well. It does. But I think, you know, uh, this is the thing about, again, another sort of oxymoron about pink floyd and this record is that roger waters is in charge of the band and roger waters kind of is artistically steering the ship yet for me the most impressive person on this record is dave gilmore mm. dave gilmore's contributions on this record his, are his best guitar work amazing like yeah ever. like run like hell was another like mm-hmm. dave gilmore credited song just the little motif of that ding 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 on another brick in the walls become one of the most famous things they've ever done Dave Gilmore. I, I mean, well, just to stick with Comfortably Numb and just so that I can say some nice things about Pink Floyd. Um, I think the solo on Comfortably Numb is just fucking exquisite. Like, it's just... It, it is, it's Dave Gilmore. Like, you listen to it immediately and you go, well, that's David Gilmore. Yeah. You know, yeah. and... Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Some of the guitar work on this record's just absolutely wonderful. Never OTT. It's, for such an OTT record, it's never OTT. It's always yeah. understated and, and played really beautifully. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. I agree. Uh, so um, not your favourite record, Matt. Definitely mine. Renfrey, oh. coming back into it. So when was the first time you actually listened to this record? And when you coming back into it, I'm interested to hear you. I would have been it. a student. Um, so my guess would be, let's say early 20s. So let's say 15 years ago would yeah. be roughly right. Um, and um, <sighs> I discovered the Mars Volta about two years previously. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. When, when the Laos the Comitorium came out. And uh, I think at that point, I was just like, well, why would you listen to Pink Floyd when you've got Mars Volta? Which, to be honest, is a bit of a silly thing to say because they are totally different Completely bands. Completely different. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, particularly yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, they are, <laughs> they are totally different bands. Uh, Mars Volta would not exist without Pink Floyd. I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but, um, but for me, I was just a little bit kind of uh, snooty about it and just like, well... I, my my feeling was just like this move this 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 type of progressive rock has moved on so much uh is what i was saying about earlier about um pink floyd inching the door open and other bands just bursting it open you know um and then but then because i have a large interest in music and i ended up sort of writing about it and um, talking about it all the time when you're told all the time constantly that this album is a masterpiece and um uh you know, one of the one of the greatest works of the twentieth century. You keep going back to it, especially if you don't understand it, um, or, or don't feel like you get it, because you want to try and you want to try and understand it and, and feel the same way about it as other people do. And I've had um well, the closest I have got 
to really i i think this is a a, a brilliant record to be clear it's clearly brilliant um and uh the musical motifs coming back and the whole concept of it and etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's one of those irritating things where you know it's a brilliant record you just don't enjoy it personally right um i find um it's i'm really glad you've made that musical connection matt because um um i've never been able to put my finger on that with this album but it is really theatrical and ott it's meant to be i think yeah um but, yeah but, but i find i find that personally a stumbling block um um i find it really this is going to be an odd thing to say about a double album as well i find it really bitty I find it, I find this, there's quite a few songs which are just um, interlude-esque, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there are short, very, very short passages on it. Which is irritating because you could name a whole ton of records that I love that have a whole bunch of short interlude tracks on them. Yeah. And I defend those to the hilt. And yet, but with this record, for whatever reason... I feel like it, there's nothing really, I mean, obvious, I was about to say that I feel like there's nothing really there, which is obviously not true, yeah. to be clear. But um, it feels like some good songs with a lot of interludes. That's, that is pretty much exact. When I first listened to this album years and years and years, decades yeah. ago, Yeah. Um, that's exactly how I used to feel about it. I right. used to kind of think, this is an album that has four songs on it. Mm. And then I'd, I'd, the say, <laughs> I'd say eight, but well, not maybe but, not even eight. Um, the, the reason that it's still not my favorite, but it definitely wasn't my favorite back then, is but I still liked it. Is it still had the bits in it that made Pink Floyd Pink Floyd? It still mm. had the incredible guitar work, and it still had the this kind of the storytelling element and exploration. But it had this new thing in there as well that I wasn't quite sure of. And another thing that I used to love about Pink Floyd was these kind of, <laughs> within an album, you'd get four tracks that were each 10 to 15 minutes long. And that would be an exploration of one thing with themes that came back. Um, but it would do that four or five times and it would all mm -hmm. be completely different. Whereas this whole album, what you, I didn't kind of realize back then, it's this whole album is a greater expanse on that. And whereas no, none of the tracks on this are 15 minute long explorations. The mm. whole thing mm. is mm. that. Yeah. And well, you could argue, those kind of tracks that are like interlude are just, they've just been sectioned off into bite sized chunks. You could argue it's one long track. Well, yeah, I was about to say, one long you track. said eight yes. songs, you said four songs. I'm happy to say this one song. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, to yeah, me, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, but what's amazing about that is that I don't think you're going to get radio success in the way that, like, you say that, but then. Their two biggest hits are on this yeah. record. Their two most radio-friendly, commercial-sounding, biggest hits. Mm. So the album is, a, to me, it's like, this is what I, I find that entire thing fascinating. Because I, for an album that I say, oh, if I'm going to listen to The War, I want to listen to it in one piece. Actually, I can pick, you know, In the Flesh the first time round, or Brick and the Wall Part 2, or run like hell, or you know, comfortably numb. You can ch pl pluck it out. Like, yeah, am I, you know, am I going to listen to Vera on its own and then just turn it off? Like, no, obviously not. But everything just moves the album on, moves the story on, and move. And it never, it never stops for me. Like, I, if I'm going to sit down and listen to it, I'd never skip anything on it. I would never dream of skipping anything on Neither it. Neither would I, to be fair. Even when there's mo even when there's moments where I'm like, 
oh, this really does nothing for me. I wouldn't dream of skipping it. And mm. I will confess that. And 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 I also will say, I've listened to this album, I reckon, a dozen times in the last three weeks, probably. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, there's a couple of those dozen times I've had to stop it in the middle, whether, I've, you know, because I've been interrupted for whatever reason. And it has felt very wrong to do so. Yeah. Even though I've not not necessarily been enjoying it I, but i've been like oh i really shouldn't be stopping this right i mean i was listening to it halfway through a minute when, when matt very kindly came to pick me up um and even then it was like oh i probably should stick around and listen to the last 45 minutes of this record but then i'll be 45 minutes late for this record um so you know and um yeah it, it doesn't it feels wrong to stop it in the middle of it mm. i think that and yet it's got singles on it yeah 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 so is it, that's kind of testament to how miraculous the album is in the yeah, first I, place, I guess. Like I they had so. no right to put out the <laughs> like the stage that they were at, like everything that had happened up to that point, the the complete futility, uh, as it would seem, of being in Pink Floyd anymore, and then to bring this out. Oh, and it's going to be this explorational piece of musical theatre, and it's going to have our biggest hits on it. Yeah, it's like, mad. Oh, what? When it's, you put it like that, this record is astonishing. Yeah, I, it's w- I wish I liked it more. It's absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously, yeah. I think we we've got we've got three, the three different opinions yeah. of it here. Yeah, 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 you've yeah, got yeah. someone who's like, I appreciate it, but I don't really like it. Yeah. I quite like it, but it's not my favorite. And and I'm just like, I fucking, I just, I can, I'm never gonna get bored of listening to this record. It's I just, almost like we planned it. Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah. We actually haven't. Um, uh, I mean, I just, we I have. Just, <laughs> we planned that we, us three were gonna talk about it, but we didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I think it's fucking absolutely brilliant. I mean, favorite tracks. If you is a thing to pick out a favorite track Ooh. on the record, would would you hate me if I just said comfortably numb? Comfortably, Not at all. Comfortably numb is one of my favorite Pink Floyd songs. Anyway, just just for David Gilmour's guitar work. Yeah. First solo, seconds. First solo is incredible, and you think, well, that that was absolutely beautiful. And then somehow he brings it back around, and there's yeah. a second solo yeah. that's just like, what? Mm. I will say, oh God, I'm a bit worried to say this. With the man to my. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I, 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 hate, I hate the verses, uncomfortably numb, but I think the chorus. And oh, no, the, I, I think it's all. Oh, just, I hate them. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's really, really great. But, but, and I understand it's meant, it's meant to be, you know, is there anybody in there? I, I understand why it's done like that. I understand it. I, I, and I, I thought by the end of a dozen listens in the last three weeks, I thought surely I will learn to appreciate the verses of Comfortably Numb and it hasn't happened. I find it really, it's really British. It's so Monty Python. I find it funny. Well, we'll have no more. Ah! Well, there, there's that. But, but also just, yeah. the, just the delivery, which I, I, I appreciate is on purpose, but the delivery of, is there anybody in there? It sounds like a Monty Python sketch to me. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's I, a lot of, you know, this is the thing again, like you never really got, I mean, somebody actually messaged me and they said, all right, anything after Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd is too serious and too dour and no good, right? And I miss the sort of humour and the sort of quirky Britishness of the... Um, of the the Sid Barrett era, which is absolutely fine and p- quite a fair comment. And I mean, this is a very depressing, difficult, and pretty horrible record in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but I do think hearing Roger Waters going, 
if you don't get your put, you ain't eat your meat, you're not gonna get any pudding. And all like doing yeah. the voices and stuff like there is a humor to it. I think there is a little bit. I mean, it is a little bit, but there is a little tiny bit of humor to it. It's a type of, and it's, it's, I mean, it's so slight that Alan Parker missed it completely. Um, completely. Mm. Uh, but I think it is there a little bit. No, I do I think it is. There is a bit that, you know, getting them to do the different voices. I mean, even the mm. trial with the trial, again, the trial is, if you can listen to the trial in isolation and go, yeah, that doesn't bother me. Then I think you'll love this <laughs> because even I saying it's one of the top three albums ever made in history. I, I think the trial is like it's hard work, but it's there because it needs to be. Having, there. having said that, though, like for the last week, I've had crazy <laughs> just stuck in my head. Yeah. Just for, Damn you, Pink Floyd! <laughs> I mean, it's real it's feelings. Proper, yeah, proper Fagin, isn't it? Well, um, I, I said Monty Python on purpose. It feels mm. really Monty, Monty. I think, you know, I said that many, many bands that I love wouldn't exist without this record. I'm not sure this record would exist without Monty Python. No. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, possibly. It, it's, it, it is like, you know, it, it's as over the top and bombastic and cr mad as music has ever, like popular music has ever been. As the Knights of Knee, aren't it they? Is. Yeah, it's bonkers. And yeah, and uh, and even when people pick up on a band like Queen and go, "Weren't Queen over the top?" and "Weren't Manowar over the top?" I mean, this is this is over the top in a quite a dark, quite yeah nasty, yeah. cynical, spiteful way. Mm. It's just you know, it's I think it's the same type of over the top. It's just done in. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. you know, we're Manowar, yep. who are like, oh, we're men, and we like metal, and we're Queen, mm -hmm. are like, oh, rock and roll's great, isn't it? <laughs> like, this is like, why don't you just fucking die? Why yeah, don't we're I, all gonna die? We're all shit. Yeah, I, th I think if the comedy was to a point where it's like, oh, there's bits of this because it's never twee. Like, even no. though it's kind of no. musical theatre and dramatic, it's no, never twee. Like, you could listen to this album every day if that was a factor on there, but the fact is, you can't. Like I've, I've tried to listen to this album like recently and it's put me in such a mood that I've been like, I've got to stop this right now because it's, it's making my heart beat in a funny way. Mm, like mm. There's the, uh, the comment, I guess that's kind of a really kind of smart, that's why it's smart of Roger Waters to kind of include those little bits of kind of underlying humour in there because yeah. it, it does pull you out at parts yeah. of it. And, and probably not even Roger Waters, probably Bob Ezrin. I yeah. mean, mm, Bob Ezrin mm. said to Roger Waters, no one wants to hear a rock star going on about how bad it is to be a rock star for two hours, which is initially Quite, what this yeah, was. And I yeah. think actually um, Bob Ezrin sort of saying to him, like, you know, focus on your childhood, focus on, you know, your parents and mm. stuff like that. I think a lot of that was was in Bob Ezrin's initial sort of 40 page treatment, which um, which then went to Roger Waters. Um, so but anyway, like. Uh, let's give it a let's give it a mark out of ten. Well, I was just about to say I, I don't feel like we should just talk about comfortably numb in terms of. So I'm gonna uh, throw in mother as well. I think mother's, mother's a beautiful song. Yeah, great. And again, Gilmore playing the mother. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty straight faced as well. You know, yeah. that, um, I, I think is great. Yeah. Um, I, I think. Oh, I'm struggling. To, uh, Run like hell is so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Run Like Hell. I mean, as well, Run Like Hell. So this is another thing. I think the sequencing of the song of the of the album is brilliant because you get to Run Like Hell, and you've had him fucking. It's been a long time since we don't need no self control, which is sort of, you know, 
as poppy as it's been getting it's been a long time since you've had anything which isn't or fucking acoustic like is there anybody Mm, out mm, there mm. and it's start it's starting to get that's the point where i think we go god this is starting to get really heavy and then you suddenly get and you get this kind of disco this disco beat um so i i love i love run like hell and i also think stick and run like hell at that point in the record where you've become so fucking exhausted by just going oh god it's so dour and it's so like oh everything's terrible and it's fascism and all this like horrible stuff's happening and then you get run like hell which is actually a you know a pretty angry song but at least it's a fun rock song upbeat yeah you know yeah. it's kind of like almost in a major key i guess like as yeah. well because it's like yeah it does it lifts your spirits again mm. even yeah yeah it's, it's the the dark contrast that's yeah it's around 65 minutes in roughly that it comes into in in an 80 minute record and um yeah you've just had quite a lot of bleakness to say the yeah least. exactly yeah so i think it's a, a sensible thing for them to do um so have one a more shout song. out to hey you one more shout hey, out. Yeah, I, hey like you. Hey you. I was mm. gonna say hey you yeah I mean, again, that was another one of the singles. I think we've, we've kind of picked oh, all the singles. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. we've kind of picked all the singles, but that sort of makes sense. I mean, in the f- like, wait, wait, but I, I, I had no bar comfortably numb. I had no idea, so yeah. that's interesting. They probably chose well. In that yeah, case. I think yeah, well, they, yeah. they obviously did. Yeah. Um, I really like both versions of In the Flesh as uh-huh. well. Yeah. I think In the Flesh is really good, um, and I would probably give. Uh, another shout out I, actually I think Goodbye Cruel from another Rick and Will part 3 to close in the sort of the first half if you like with Goodbye Cruel World I think is cool like I mean the thing is I like everything on this record so me picking like a 1 minute 16 second long song yeah. seems a bit odd but you know it's just it's another part of the record that I'm I really like but I think yeah like that first the first the, the side one disc disc one side one um uh, it's just so great from in the flesh up to mother i think is absolutely perfect and i'm looking at the rest of it and it's yeah i mean i wouldn't oh, matt favorite songs um i'm gonna agree with you on hey you um as a starter yeah um because you've you've kind of been in, in throughout the entire first half you've been introduced to that motif it's like there's that whenever something whenever it gets its most depressing you're going to get this guitar riff that goes the da 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 the heaviest yeah. that ever co- happens back yeah. is hey, the you. first yeah. track on the second side where it's like yeah. okay we flashed forward like yeah. to the oh yeah that that just works so well there and it's kind of yeah. like the pinnacle of introducing someone to a theme and you know instantly what that theme means yeah. now when it yeah. gets to you and it's like, oh that's yeah. that's that's really awesome um you have to forgive me. But, uh, no before different. another brick in the wall, part yeah. two comes in. Yeah. The happiest days of our lives. Yeah, I think that's just the best way to introduce it. I mean, they must have known that another brick in the wall part two was going to be a single at some point. They, I they guess must have, so. When they were writing that, it's like this has got some pop credentials to it. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's got this intro in the form of that song. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, really I, again, I really like that. When you talk about little motifs and um when you talk about little kind of bridging songs like I, yeah i that guess is that's the fucking... introduction to kind of like the, the schoolmaster as well isn't yeah. It? Yeah. The, yeah 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 the scottish uh... yeah because another brick in the wall part one is well bleak yeah <laughs> i mean we'll probably <laughs> yeah, yeah. T- we'll, we'll talk about some covers uh, uh of of songs from this album in a bit and another brick in the, to go from another brick in the wall part one straight into brick, another brick in the wall part two it does need something just to kind of like lighten it yeah or yeah. get you ready for it slightly because 
the first part is really fucking bleak. So yeah, again, perfect, perfect on their part. Um, out of ten, if we, I'm gonna give we give this. I'm, I'm giving it ten. Obviously, obviously, I'm giving it ten. Renfrey, Matt. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give it a seven because seven because it's the lowest. It's the highest number that's still kind of a low score. <laughs> it's the lowest number that still sounds kind of like a high score. Fucking no, I, 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 you should write for Kerrang, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love uh, I, I love The Wall, but it's not my favourite Pink Floyd album. Um, you, you have made me change my mind on a few things just in this conversation, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, but it's still not going to be my favourite Pink Floyd album. That's um, fine. It made me feel sick on a train last week. <laughs> knocked the point off. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, if you're giving it seven. Lord only knows what Renfrey's going to. Well, no, I, I, um, th- th- these are the hardest records to review when you know they're brilliant and yet you don't get it, aren't they? Yeah. As people yep. who review records all the fucking time. Um. So I. Uh. <laughs> to be honest, if a publication asked me to review this, I would probably go back to them and say, I don't think I'm your guy. <laughs> is what I would actually, in a real world scenario, I think I probably would do that. Um, gun to head. Um, seven does, what, what in, in, in 2020 or in 1979? Whatever, man. In 2027. Okay. I, th- I think I've... I've I- I feel like I've got to like stand up for the seven on my part. Like it's a seven in context of all Pink Floyd's albums to me. And I know yours is still a 10 in context of that. Yeah. But like my, my favorite thing that I love about Pink Floyd is I, it's going to be animals or it's going to be dark side of the moon and they're full tens for me. So I wouldn't disagree that dark side of the moon is worth a 10. In fact, I wouldn't disagree that animals or even wish you were here. If someone, if someone offered me their, opinion of all four of those records and ended up giving two of them 10 and uh, the wall a lower score i wouldn't think what a fucking idiot <laughs> you know what i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't Hello. think that i wouldn't think that at all um so yeah i think all four of those records are great i just i i think that's for me it's it's an eight two nines and a ten that run of four okay oh right what's the eight probably wish you were here mm-hmm. yeah I, I think there's a weak point on wish you were here which yeah. is uh, welcome to the machine mm. is a bit okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. i get it after the first second that yeah. could have been like a minute long yeah there's you know th- it's not it's just the highs on that album are yeah, so high. high shine on your crazy diamond yeah, could have just been mm. yeah. beautiful song yeah. Yeah. even and i will the title track obviously yeah, is of course incredible yep. Um, but I mean, particularly, yeah, Dark Side. And I think and Animals is, you're, you're right, Animals yeah. is, is fucking brilliant. I'd like to ask you a question, Steve. Yes. Um, uh, as we were leaving my home, as Matt came to very kindly pick me up, Matt uh, said and admitted that um, this album has dated somewhat, didn't you? Can I confirm that you said that? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, do you agree with that assessment or not? I don't agree with that at all, actually. No, okay. I don't. And I'll tell you why I don't agree with it, because I don't think something that doesn't sound like anything else can really date. I think it's very difficult for musical theatre to date well, something that is based on kind of... Um, Some Rogers and Hammerstein musical theatre. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> they I, definitely dated. I, well, okay, but something like, for example, like people still go and see Les Mis yeah. Yeah, all the yeah. time. Yeah. And I don't think this is 
lame is mm. uh this is still like say a, this is a baroque rock album it's not the craziest comparison in the world but though. It's, it's not the, no it's not the craziest comparison no. in the world um but i think it's you know especially when you look at we talked about what kind of what came out alongside it now i like entertainment by gang of four drums and wires by xtc the first specials albums but they do sound like of their time mm. you know off the wall by michael jackson is an amazing record it sounds of its Definitely time of its as now. does london calling it's like you go put that on you go that sounds like the 70s if you put this on i wouldn't if, if i knew nothing about this record and you put it on i'm not sure i'd be able to tell you what year it came out in that's fairly argued i think i would be able to tell you that i think it's um quote unquote old but i wouldn't be able to tell you what year it came out in mm. yeah yeah but it's old i think it's stuff like the it's classic sounding yes and it's the production of it that makes yeah. it sound old yeah fair, fair. but I, I i don't think uh i don't think an artist could bring that out in the year 2020 i don't think it could exist and i think that's what i think it would sound different if it was released now i think yeah. it would sound different but i think somebody i think if somebody brought if somebody as popular as pink floyd is now tried to do this and did it to the same quality and the same standard muse. let's say for example who is muse. massive not muse um <laughs> somebody uh, if biffy maybe no biffy. no i was gonna say some i mean somebody really pop like somebody really m huge we're going to the pop world are we uh someone like kanye west mm -hmm. okay right yeah. if kanye west tried to do this now i know we obviously have different opinions of kanye west mm -hmm. but if kanye west surrounded himself with the best producers and the best songwriters and the best guitarists and the or the best whatever mm -hmm. um the best musicians and made and tried to make a autobiographical record which is one part i don't know modern sounding hip-hop and the other part kind of classical musical theater and he pulled it off to the to, to the standard of this i think people would still lo would lose their shit over it i think they would yeah 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 I think they would. And um, so I think you could do this now. I just don't think anyone... I say, I think this coming out now of a sim of a similar bent would still be as popular yeah, as I, it I, I, th I think I think that's fair. I just but I don't, don't think, think anyone could. Yeah, no, that's 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 very fair to say. Nobody could. And that, that I, get, I think that's kind of part of my point is the wall could, would not drop on our doorsteps today. No, but that's like it's a something a similar concept could mm. if this had never existed, potentially. Yeah, mm. but I don't think that you could not reproduce the this group of songs. No, never having heard it before and it arrive in twenty twenty and and be like, yep. Yeah, no, I, mean, that, I understand where that's come from. Or yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of one of its strengths, to be honest. Mm. Mm. But you know, uh, whereas yeah, you know, when you like I say, when you look at the other things that came out that year this is just such a i mean pink floyd are such a weird band for 1979 yeah <laughs> so this this is a weird pink floyd <laughs> album <laughs> this yeah. album's on an island on its own mm. and i absolutely agree with that it's mm. it's um utterly uh, an utterly unique vision which has not um <sighs> it's 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 uh its impact has not uh has not um Diminished. Diminished. No, yeah, I think I'd probably agree. Actually, mm. the album. Anyway, like, is there anything you'd like compare it to, like <sighs> that's of a similar ilk? I. Are you going to say Dose Your Dreams? I think Dose Your Dreams is the only thing that I've ever heard. That fragile. I don't think the fragile is a conceptual record that tells a story in the same way. No, that's true. Actually, I think the fragile is fucking brilliant. It's also twenty-one years old. 
Yeah. Which uh, is crazy. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas Dosha Dreams, yeah, I mean, without wanting to sound like a broken record, um, Dosha Dreams is probably my favourite record. Well, it is my favourite record of the last decade. And I think it's similarities to this and it's success at aping this is why and you're right in saying that would it get as big well no they didn't i mean it's that album's basically been fucking ignored by everyone except me mm. um so yeah uh you're not alone in having problems with this by the way guys it wasn't entirely well received i mean it was oh, well really? received by a lot of people um but it was uh it was reviewed in um in melody maker uh, and the guy who wrote for Melody Maker, I don't seem to find a name for him, he says, I'm not sure whether it's brilliant or terrible, but I find it utterly compelling. But uh, Robert Christigou, who's a very famous yeah, American very famous. Um, reviewer, called it a dumb tribulations of a rock star epic backed by kitschy minimal maximism, maximalism with sound effects and speech fragments, which he later recalled had three worthwhile songs. Oh, he didn't get it then. I understand why someone might come to that conclusion. I don't strictly agree with it, but I do understand why someone might might come to that conclusion with this mm. album. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's having a sulk. Yeah. No, no, I'm not having a sulk. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. I mean, in terms of its release, though, so it was released, um, as we said, on the... Hold on, I've lost the, I've lost the actual... Uh, the 30th of November 1979 so just before Christmas lovely Christmas present <laughs> um, it, it went to number one in 10 countries although curiously the UK was not one of them it only peaked at number three in the UK sold over 2 million copies uh, in its first two months went 23 times platinum in the United States that's 11.5 million copies as of the 29th of January 1999 so uh, that's 21 years ago so uh, it's obviously uh, sold a few more since then it's gone two times diamond in Canada that's two million copies two times platinum in the UK 600,000 copies four times platinum in Germany that's four million copies as of 1994 this is quite out of date these uh, things I've got here um, so obviously fucking massive like absolutely well. massive it's their second biggest selling album after Dark Side of the Moon which still remains I guess in most people's eyes the magnum opus right Probably. I mean, it's more digestible, isn't it, than this? So it's going to be... Yeah, I guess so. Is Dark Side still in the charts? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I think it is. I imagine it is, yeah. <laughs> it was in the charts for a fucking long time. I think, you know, this one sold something like... Um, the Wall sold something like 25 million copies, where Dark Side of the Moon sold something like 57 million copies worldwide. Oh. So it is quite significantly bigger. So it's a, you know, it's I say it's a close run thing. I mean, obviously Dark Side of the Moon was out a good sort of seven, eight years before, seven years before, six years, 73, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was out a, a good few years before the wall. So it's had a bit of a head start, but that's still a significant yeah, It's amount. more timeless. It's Dark Side, so people keep buying it. Mm, yeah yeah i mean you know i yeah i think it's, it's, it's like it's matt said that with a glint in his eye i know which, but which mate, you're probably, he wanted to go it's, to it's probably <laughs> well you know I, no. I can i can see why you would say that because i think it certainly sounds like the sound of a 70s rock band dark side of the moon whereas the wall does not yeah yeah um but you know if that's all you're after, riffs, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, 
that, it's Beat a lot. Of, it's a lot of what I'm after. <laughs> a big dumb rock fan, like yeah. that's, that's what I um, like. Big surprise. <laughs> I want to talk about covers of, of songs off this record. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> uh, covers of, of people who've covered this. Um, last year there was an album released called The Wall Redux for to celebrate its 30th anniversary, um, which featured the likes of the Melvins um, covering songs from this, but. The main one, the single that was released from it, was Paul Bearer doing Run Like Hell. I've heard it. You've heard it, haven't yeah. you? Have you yeah. heard it, Matt? Uh, I haven't. I haven't heard it. It's fucking great. It's excellent. It's yeah. really, really good. And for my money, comfortably the best cover of a Pink Floyd song. Uh, I prefer it to the original. Do you? Oh, no. Nah, have, have you listened to, uh, this This isn't wall, the wall oriented, but uh, the Doom Side of the Moon? No, I haven't actually. So Doom, oh, a Doom cool. band covers the entire of Dark Side of the Moon. Right, it's pretty damn good. But nice. I haven't heard the Paul Bearer, so I can't. I can't say mm. that it's really not the good. Best. It's very different from the original yeah. Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer, great. Fuck yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah really, great. really good. They really heavy the shit out. Yeah, of them, yeah, yeah. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, mm. uh, covering <laughs> Run Like Hell and being a metal band, I didn't know this existed. But somebody on Twitter got hold of me and was like, "Have you heard Kitty covering Run Like Hell?" And I hadn't. Now I played this to both yeah. of you before we started. Comfortably the worst Pink Floyd song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's been it's probably been two hours since I heard that, and I still haven't forgiven you. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you didn't even have anything to do with making the song. So imagine no. how I feel about Kitty. It, yeah. it, it's it's uh, risible. It's <laughs> it's amazing that you can take something with such a great recognizable guitar part and yeah. not go let's yeah. adapt it, but let's <laughs> just go it. let's just get rid of it and go yeah. gah. over the top of it instead the one thing i'll give kitty is they obviously try to do something different with it but what they tried to do different with it was shocking any amount of musical ability or ingenuity or personality and strip it of sort of away from that so that's good um eric pritz versus um pink floyd another brick in the wall or no we it's called we don't need no education i believe which is uh eric pritz of course did Call, call me, me, call on me. The video, the basically soft porn video. Um, Swedish dance producer. Seen it a uh, couple of times. Pretty fucking rubbish. Don't look at my history. Oh, I won't. I've not heard it, uh, but I can only imagine how uh, terrible that is. It sounds awful. Have you heard it? Mate? I've heard it. Yeah, it's right. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I put a poll up on Twitter because the two biggest covers of songs from this album are Korn doing Another Brick in the Wall, the entirety of it, and Scissor Sisters covering Comfortably Numb. Uh, I said, recording Right Act Special on the Wall tomorrow, but who took one of its classic songs and shat on it the hardest? Korn doing Another Brick in the Wall or Scissor Sisters covering Comfortably Numb by 40, 58%. That's quite quite tight. Uh, over Korn's 42%. The Scissor Sisters are considered the worst... I, I really like that. <laughs> I would I would have given it to Corn too. Absolutely, I would have yeah. definitely given it to Corn. Mm, I, I I wouldn't go as far as to say I really like the Scissor Sisters version, but um but I would have given it to Corn personally. Put it this way, I quite like the Scissor Sisters version until I really grew to love the wall. Okay. Oh. Once I'd heard the proper version of Comfortably Numb, um, because like I said, it took me a long time to really get into this record. Um and I think, and it, so I'd listened to it, but I didn't really, like, it was probably like two, it's probably around the same time that the Scissor Sisters version came out 
that I started really properly listening to it. So that came out. I remember that came out a single and being like, oh, that's all right. That's that song, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And fair play to them. They have changed it a lot. Uh, a lot. I, yeah. I, I think it's just, it's it's a different song with the same lyrics. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. I, that's probably why I can still enjoy it. It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's a not a bad, song. it's not a bad kind of reworking of it. It's just the lyrics are so weird. It yeah. being in that. Mm. 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 Yeah. It's a good time. It's just yeah. a good time. Yeah, <laughs> how is that song a good time? Yeah. They, they almost might as well, might as well have written a new song, but then of course they wouldn't have got the publicity behind it if they hadn't. Exactly. So right. Yeah. Um, whereas Korn's cover of not another, of another brick in the wall. While it's not quite Kitty doing run like hell. Corn no. bizarre thing that Corn did with this song. Where they just used to end their set with it all the time. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? I have what? no idea. Yeah, it was quite quite common. In the sort of corn, mil- corn wilderness years, they used to end their sets with... Uh, the sort this. of corn three uh, step. <laughs> Why are they Let's not end with blind. Uh, <laughs> let's end with our risible cover of... Uh, it's like you, got, you have got loads of good songs still. I know you haven't released a good oh. album for fucking ages, but... You still got a load of good songs you haven't played. You get this eight-minute cover of another brick in the wall where they take out the best again. Dave Gil, the best bit of that that song. Dave Gilmore's like ding 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 is the yeah, fucking. Yeah. That's the best bit of that song, right? I mean, to be fair, neither Monkey nor um, uh, Head really can solo, so that's probably well. Fine. They do a pretty good job of actually doing the solo in it. Oh. They actually do do the actually. solo. They just yeah, okay. uh, they just take out. They just go goon 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 mm. <laughs> like like they always did. Mm. Uh, I don't really understand it. And like I say, for me, it doesn't really work when you are taking out um, the other things that surround it, and yet they still end with the. They add in "Goodbye Cruel World" at the end of the, the cover as well, mm. and don't mm. acknowledge that that is not another brick in the wall but yet they don't do you know the days of our lives or they just i, I just don't understand what they're thinking uh, i mean either cover the whole thing or don't cover it at all exactly or they they kind of cover all three parts mm. no i mean cover, i the... mean cover all 80 minutes of the wall and now our last song yeah. for the evening you've <laughs> heard freak wall. on a leash <laughs> you've heard blind <laughs> Now this. Yeah. <laughs> Strap Here's in. our Hello, we're Corn. This is our new single. This one's called Freak on a Leash. Good night. This is our last song. What? We're gonna do the wall in full. What? No. <laughs> Daddy, what to leave behind for me? <laughs> oh my god. I'm going to that gig though. That's the thing. Well, I mean, I'd want it. to be there. I'd want to be there. Yeah. So um yeah, that. They're the worst covers, although, or they were the worst covers until, until <laughs> late last year. Uh, I I don't watch many YouTubers. Do you guys got any YouTubers that you like? Anthony Fantano? You don't like him, do you? I don't like Anthony Fantano. I don't like Anthony Fantano. Rhett and Link. They're quite don't, know, don't know who that is. Matt? I know who they are. I, 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 off the top of my head. Not not big into watching YouTubers, okay. I guess. No, I don't no. watch many. Don't usually watch YouTubers. They're pretty rubbish, most of them. Uh, there are a few good ones. Uh, Toll in the Shadows, I think, is quite good. Punk Rock NBA. Um, and uh, YourMovieSucks.org is probably my favourite. Very funny. There is a guy... sound antagonistic at all. It's really good. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, bit, it's, a, it's a bit of me, put it that way. Um, 
there's a guy called Doug Walker, aka the Nostalgia Critic, right? Now, if you are, I I nearly told both of you to watch this, but I ended up not doing that because I thought, hold on, I'll just talk about it and you, you know, spare yourself this, right? Um, he basically, the Nostalgia Critic does, it is what I think it said it is like, I don't really know anything about the guy, but last year I started seeing people on Twitter talking about the worst review of anything ever. And it was Doug Walker, the Nostalgia Critic's online YouTube review of The Walk by Pink Floyd, right? Oh, okay. And so I was like, well, I kind of have to watch this now. It's 45 minutes long. Um, and it is basically Corey Taylor from Slipknot playing Pink, doing the Bob Geldof role. And this guy, this nerdy fucking guy, recreating the entirety of The Wall but just kind of go <laughs> throughout the whole thing, right? And he's got the nerve not only to make this fucking awful video, right? It is just bowel-loosningly bad, right? With him going, oh, this, this is supposed to be the bit where we go all deep and we learn, but trying to do it in time. Like, got some guy who has recreated all the music, really. It's like the really kind of tinny, badly produced badly sung rubbish version of of the wall like a short like a 45 minute version of just him going what's all this about it's supposed to be in nazi germany now and it is frightening how bad it is and not only has he done the video of it he's recorded it as an album and the album is on spotify for you to listen to oh wow it is ah. so un like i i cannot even Begin, I mean, we're going to talk about the film in a bit, in mm. part two, right? The film, you know, it's a bit of an easy target to fucking have a go at the film. There's, it, it's it is, a broken yeah. film. It's a difficult film, right? But do, you, you're having a go at Roger Waters and Alan Parker and <laughs> the, the wall, right? When you're just some fucking bloke on YouTube making videos about the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film and you're trying to recreate that film <laughs> to parody it. My God, the mind fucking bog. I, I nearly kicked my fucking telly in watching it. I, I, I mean, honestly, if you've got 45 minutes of your life that you just want to decimate then go and watch. I, I would not suggest you go and watch this video i, I might watch it, it instead of listening to the final cut actually yeah it is yeah. it is staggeringly but oh the final cut is fucking way better than this oh, okay. wow. it is staggering this youtube video <laughs> absolutely staggering and i mean he, there's no way he's gonna hear this but mate you are fucking wrong you are wrong <laughs> you have no right to criticize anything artistically minded at all ever again you can't slag off the fucking cheeky girls mate let alone pink floyd you <laughs> fucking waste of space rubbish um so yeah for me the worst cover of anything on the wall is comfortably that dude okay. but i wouldn't bother watching it just never no. never ever know that um you know that loads of people are gonna watch it now oh god it's such a such a bad something it's apparently one of the worst reviewed uh things on youtube ever wow Okay, yeah, cool. The most negatively reviewed thing on YouTube. Lovely. Um, anyway, uh, so there you go. Anything else to add on the, the album? Not for the record itself, no. I think you've covered it very, very extensively. Matt? Uh, no, no, no further from me. All right, well, that's the end of part one. 
uh, amazingly. As I said, it is going to be quite a long podcast. It's quite a lot to talk through. In the second half, we're going to be talking about the film and the live show. So uh, come on over to part two and we will uh, we will see you there. Bye. <laughs>